For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to the art studio. I hope all of you are having a great day in your art studio, and I hope the art is coming out well. Well, I got my Ed Wood Jr. books in the mail today. Not today, I guess it was yesterday? Two days ago? Hmm, trying to think now. Time is a blur. <laughs> anyway, the point of that is, how many mistakes I found in this damn book? Spelling mistakes, spelled Lugosi wrong, some overlapping art that I didn't see, uh, and some likeness issues I felt that I, uh, continuity of how people look, I wasn't super happy with. And what's interesting is as I printed this thing out, you know, two, three weeks ago, proofed it at my leisure, and still missed all all kinds of mistakes in it. Still missed them. And that is really, really annoying. It seems like, you know, as I've said before, during creation, I, I can't prove a damn thing. I have to wait till I'm sort of removed from the project in order to prove it correctly. And that is a real pain because it's not till it's completed that I can go back and... Uh, <laughs> You know, fix it. Actually see the mistakes. And uh, anyway, it's kind of frustrating because it's not that I am frustrated about not being done or frustrated about having to go back and fix it. That's not really the frustration. The frustration is having made the mistakes. It's like, you know, where is your head at? You know, how can you do that? Uh, I just, just annoyed at myself for the making of the mistakes. Anyway, uh, this is in every project, though. Every book I make... Everything I've produced, I guess I'm well over a hundred books now. Uh, I always have to go back and proof them and fix them and then print them and get them again and then proof them and fix them and get it again and proof it and fix it. And I'll admit it usually takes about two, three times, two or three times. I like to this morning, I got up and I read the book again and there was a sentence that was misconstructed. It wasn't a typo. It was a sentence that was constructed incorrectly. <laughs> I was like, what? How could I write that? doesn't make any sense. And I missed it the whole time. Think of it. I've been proofing this book almost for a month on and off. You know, not full time, obviously, but I keep looking at it with fresh eyes. And I keep finding mistakes with fresh eyes. Well, I persevered and I have fixed them. That's one thing I can say is I've gone back and tried to run down and find every single mistake I've made. I think I've got the book in a good state right now, at least <laughs> for another, till I find more mistakes anyway. But I guess that's going to be part of it. The last mistake I found was the word blockbuster. And one character says it's going to be a blockbuster. And the word is spelled wrong. It's, it's spelled as two words. Blockbuster is one word. 
it's like, shh, you know, it's mistakes like that, you know, that uh, keep cropping up, I keep finding. Anyway, thanks for letting me vent on that. I don't mean to complain because the fact of it is I'm blessed to have projects that I can even actually work on, right? I mean, huh, when I think about how limited our time is, how limited energy and chance we have to do things, how few projects in our lives we will ever actually get to, get to produce, uh, I'm glad to have this problem. This is a good problem to have projects to proof. So that's a good thing. The bad thing is I stink <laughs> and make a lot of mistakes, but I'm willing to put in the time to fix them. I can say that. Somebody asked me today, hey, what's with Edward Jr.? Like, why Edward Jr.? How did this come about? What, what is this all about for you? Years and years ago, when the Edward Jr. movie first came out, I went and watched it. It's a Tim Burton movie. It was okay. Didn't really get much out of it. Flash forward many years later, and I see the movie again, and this time I get it. I actually get it on all the different levels and all the things it's about. And then I go and I read up on this Edward guy, and I end up buying a book about Edward. And I find that I have more in common with Ed Wood than almost any person I've read about. Not, you know, I've, other I've had, you know, more things in life, you know, but Ed Wood and I are tragically similar. The good news is I'm not a tragic alcoholic like Ed Wood. And Ed Wood has something very special that I don't have that I'll get to in a minute. But Ed Wood, you know, basically a filmmaker, self-taught, raises money, at a time when, you know, $50,000 was like a quarter of a million dollars and makes movies. Now, he makes bad movies, but he has a passion for it and he gets other people involved with him who follow him because he's very passionate about what he's doing. And when you're very passionate about what you're doing, you will almost always find that a certain amount of people will be buoyed by this enthusiasm and will join you in it. It's, it's very weird. Having made many enthusiasm projects with great passion, I can tell you how true this is. Something about a man rowing a boat very hard makes certain amount of people cheer for him. Certain amount of people say, hey, keep going. Certain amount of people jump in the boat, help you row for a minute. Certain amount of people help push the boat forward. Some donate food and water to help you keep rowing. So if people see you working hard, sometimes... They contribute to help you keep going. There's something inspiring about watching someone go and do it, and you say, yes, keep going. Sort of the idea behind Patreon, I suppose, Kickstarter. Uh, you know, a pat on the back financially to encourage that person to go forward. Ed Wood made movies, and a whole bunch of other factors about Ed Wood that I really, really find resonate with me. Now, the thing that's special about Ed Wood is, <laughs> I remember when I f first made my first feature film, and let me tell you, I gave everything I had to it, my best script, I mean, the, I got good people, everything. Here's what I learned, how much I don't know about every level of filmmaking. Now, I learned a lot, and I have to say could be my ego speaking, but I really think if I spent 10 years making movies and made 20 movies or 10 movies, I would get a lot better at it, especially if I surrounded myself with 
the expertise I know I now need. I would definitely get a cinematographer and so on. I would hire skilled artisans, if I could, to put the whole project together, much like Alfred Hitchcock did. You know, His films totally relied on the guy who filmed it, totally. And even though he was a director, it seemed to me that the cinematographer was the real guy behind Hitchcock's films. But I digress. <laughs> what a digression. That was pretty crazy. Anyway, I see myself sort of like as a lone filmmaker like Ed Wood, a lone creator, a guy with a vision. Ed wrote like 80 books, I think. And he had a passion about his things that he wanted to create. And he re this really moved him forward, being creative through life. And this has really moved me forward. Uh, so I see a lot of similarities in how he approaches, but here's what he has that I don't have. As his projects failed, you know, he'd have one disaster after another where either, I would just have to say that he, one thing about him is he thought the projects were good. He didn't know the movies were crap. And that's an important distinction because when I made my first movie, I thought it was crap. I looked at it and said, wow, I can really see the flaws in this product and I can see how much further I have to go with sound, cinematography, all kinds of things I needed to fix. And uh, I never got to do the next project. And one of the reasons I never got to do it besides money and time is that I felt like I really let all the people down who contributed to my project. So many people contributed to the project, worked so hard and helped me. And I felt like I let them down. I felt like I let down the actors. So Ed Wood never felt that way. Even if his projects were ap absolutely disastrous financially, uh, you know, <laughs> as far as going out in the public, being received, people disliked them, so on, he never had any problem with that. And so I suppose what you would call letting people down didn't bother him. Or, or maybe he didn't feel it, see it, experience it. He would just be able to use people, quote unquote, and they would happily be used and then go on to the next project and the next project and still using people for money and acting and so on. And he, he never got beaten down by failure. Failure has beaten me down. I'll be honest. I'm, I'm loath now to risk time and money on projects. I'm much more careful than I was. Much more careful. And it's only been 10 years uh, since my last project like that. And I'm, I feel completely different about the whole subject. My friends have said that I've learned to internalize a little bit too much uh, scarcity and I'm afraid of loss. And that's true. I'm making my decisions through fear of loss as opposed to desire to gain. And there is a big difference in how you make decisions based on those two things for sure. Anyway, that's uh, the big difference I see in me and Ed Wood. No matter how disastrous a ship he crashed into the, you know, the dock was, he was happy to get on another ship with a whole new crew the very next day and take them out for another, you know, terrible run in the ocean and smash it again. And, and he was able to go from one project to another like that. I've kept my projects going by not involving others, by focusing on my books and my comics and my other artwork. I've been able to get other people out of it so if I let anybody down if I make a mistake uh, it doesn't affect others it just affects me and that's a big important distinction to me but I won't go into too much the psychology but I think I have a problem 
with so with sort of like a latent guilt, not feeling I'm living up to what I should be sort of or should could do more kind of idea. I was in court. Uh, I don't know when it was five years ago, and the judge uh, says to me, "Well, you know, you work two jobs." And this is how much money you make. I recommend you get a third job and work harder. <laughs> Thank you, Your Honor. So even the judge said to me, you're not doing enough. You're not trying hard enough. Uh, so maybe I need to try hard enough. God knows I am a workaholic. There's no question about that. So I don't think it's the absence of hard work, so to speak. It's probably the absence of having a clear plan of marketing, uh, building a business, things like that. I utterly clueless. I've spent my life, you know, trying to learn how to do stuff that you and I would call creative production as opposed to the creative avenues of making money out of production. Big difference in that kind of thinking. Anyway, that's why it's Ed Wood. I, after reading the book, uh, which is called Nightmare of Ecstasy by Rudolph Gray, that's available on Amazon for like nine dollars. Uh, which is just a bunch of conversations from different people who knew Ed Wood. That's all it is. But they built from this book the script of the the uh, movie they made about him. Uh, I I really found the quirky people and the things that happened to him absolutely fascinating. So I sat down about two years ago and did chapter one of what I call the Ed Wood book. It's basically Ed Wood going out, getting the job to direct a movie, his first movie, which I'm not even sure it was his first movie now. I think it is, Leonard Lenda, but I'm not exactly sure. Anyway, I think it's his first feature film. Maybe that's how it is, because he makes a short, I think. Yeah, I guess he makes a short before that. Uh, he makes this film. What was the point of that? Uh, Ed Wood goes out. Oh yeah, that's the first chapter of the book. He goes out, lands the job directing the book of the the movie, and then it's about him making that movie. It's the behind the scenes look at Glenn or Glenda, and about him producing that film and fictitiously what it was like to know him, interact with him, and so on. And it literally is a complete sort of work of fiction. Uh, based loosely on the structure of him making this movie, so that was like the first. That was like the first idea, the first chapter, and then uh, I worked on that for like a year, and then took a pause, and then started chapter two, and then worked on chapter two for a while, and then took a pause, and so recently I finished chapter two, which completes the arc of him working on Leonard Lenda. And I like it. It's quirky. It's weird. It's fun. But that's how I came to create that book and how I began to think about Ed Wood Jr. and so on. A friend of mine passed away yesterday. And uh, he was a heck of a nice guy who did tons of charitable work and really cared about people. His name was Cliff Cook. And he was just... One of those people you meet who's just a kind soul, if that makes any sense. I don't think the guy had in him to hurt a fly. I mean, he just seemed like that kind of person. I mean, no one's perfect. I'm not saying he was perfect. But from what I knew of him, from what I interacted, 
He certainly was a nice fellow. I get a letter on my desk from an artist who's one of those prolific artists I've ever known. His name is Larry Blake. This guy drew more books and produced more pages almost anybody you can imagine over his lifetime of creation. And now the poor guy has cancer, he's sick, and uh, his wrist doesn't work. His wrist, he's gotten terrible carpal tunnel from drawing so much, and I guess he had it fixed once, but now it's bad again. Anyway, he can hardly use his hand to draw, so he can't draw anymore. Probably the thing that he loves to do most, the thing that he just really loves to do, which is to sit down and draw, he can't. Our time is really limited, man. Uh, My right hand, my right wrist, has been stiffening up quite a bit over the last few months. And I can only draw now for like two or three hours and I have to rest. And there was a time when I could draw all day. Not too long ago, just a year ago. I could draw all day and I'd be fine. (coughs) But those days are gone. So, you know, the clock on the wall is there physically for every one of us. We only have so much time. You've really got to make the best of it. And I know this is a big theme of the show, something I talk about all the time. But uh, I, I, I guess I just, you know, I think it's really important, I guess, to understand this and see it. And I know most of you do. I'm not trying to convince you of it. I guess I'm trying to encourage you to go and you know throw a little bit of time on things that you want to do. Whatever that is, it doesn't have to be a project. It can just be spending time with your dog or your kids or whatever you want it to be. We have so little time that uh, you should spend it the way you want to. That doesn't mean be selfish. In fact, it might mean the opposite. Maybe helping others is the best thing you can ever do with your time. Maybe it is. But anyway, something I think about a lot. I have another friend of mine. I put this post on Facebook. I don't think anybody saw it. It has like one like from my mom. A friend of mine needs a kidney. He has no insurance. He's 30. Uh, he needs $20,000 to get this kidney. His girlfriend is giving him the kidney, one of her kidneys. So it's a, it's a really big thing, and he needs $20,000. So far, I think he's raised... maybe over the last couple months. He's in dialysis. I don't know if you know anything about dialysis. I won't go down that road with you. But let me tell you, it's grueling and it's hard. And you don't last forever. You last a couple years on dialysis and it's over. This guy really needs a kidney. They've put up one of those for free fund me things where people can go and give them money and it costs nothing they charge no fees from the giving of them the money so i've put that link up on facebook and i'll go grab that link again and i'll put it into the art studio podcast now my supposition is i'm a realist you know people haven't really donated before to anything (laughs) and and i don't have a rich audience i get that in a small audience but even if it just you know everybody sent them a dollar or five dollars who listened to this podcast it would be a life-changing amount of money for them. And it would be life-changing because it would keep this guy alive. Again, I'm not saying you have to. I'm just asking you to. If you've got a couple extra bucks, 
on Facebook, go to the Art Studio podcast page, look at my friend here, photo with him and his family and his kids, and his kidneys failed like a year ago, and he needs a kidney. And again, you know, in this country, if you're poor, just like me, it's a sentence of death not to have insurance, not to be able to afford this. It's, it's really crazy how that works. But if you can throw a couple bucks at this, I'd love you to do it. If you can't, I still love you. It's okay. I get it. Uh, and I didn't have a lot of money to give. I don't have a lot of money. But I gave what I could. And if I get to make more money down the road here, I hope, uh, sell some art or something, then I'll give more money. That would be my plan. This is a good cause. This is, I'm not saying he's a saint. not saying he's a perfect guy. He's a good guy, family man, works hard. And he's been laid low by an unbelievable thing, like having his kidney, kidneys failed. I don't know why they failed. I don't know what the backstory is, genetics. I don't know if he you know, did something to prompt this. I don't know. I know there's nothing weird about him. He's not on drugs. He doesn't drink, doesn't carry on. He's completely normal and boring as could be. So I'm not really sure what happened. You know, but I just know what happened, and this is the state of it. And I know his family uh, really wants him to live and get this kidney. Anyway, I'll stop with the whole story. But I wanted to bring that up because I think it's really important. And I don't know if I can make a damn bit of difference in this guy's life. I wish I had some huge national audience like Rush Limbaugh and could implore my audience to do something. And, you know, thousands of people would take action because this is a really good cause. This is like, you know... You don't hear me ever asking for money, <laughs> so the, you know it's got to be something special if I'm asking now. It's, it's a really big deal. I have got uh, some copies here of Ed Wood Jr. that were you, what you and I would now call my proof copies. They've got the misspellings. They've got the, uh, the little bit of the overlapping art. Uh, but beyond that, they're like, you know, pretty good comics. <laughs> if any of you would want one of these comics, I'm willing to mail it to you. But here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to PayPal me a dollar. That's right, one dollar. That's all I want you to PayPal me. Uh, so if it turns out that you want to do that, let me know. Send me the buck, and I'll send you a copy of Ed Wood Jr. I only have four copies to mail out, so I don't expect a big run on this. I figure like one or two of you will probably want to do this. But if you send me a buck, I'll send you one of my proof copies of Ed Wood Jr., and you can see the book. I wish it was perfect. I wish uh, Bella Lugosi's name was not spelled wrong. <laughs> But it is. I spell it with two L's. It's supposed to be one L. Uh, things like that are in the book. But I don't think it will diminish the joy or the fun of reading the book or getting the jokes in any way. There's nothing that obstructs, I think, in that way from enjoying the book. And I'm really nitpicky about my books. The only thing I am nitpicky about in the whole world. And uh, so I really try to polish them. I'm like a guy that owns one of those darned old classic cars who's always polishing it and out there buffing it. That's how I like to treat my books. I really do. I like to polish them and put as much on them as I can before I'm done. Uh, that's why I don't mind getting them back, fixing them, altering them, making them work. Now, 
I don't take my old work and fix it. I'll take something from years ago and begin monkeying with it. Uh, I monkey on a project all the way till I feel like I pull the curtain on it. And once I pull the curtain on it, I'm done. And again, I usually go through two or three edits with something to edit it correctly, at least to my level, and then move on. And you know, I'll read the book years later and find a mistake in it, find something I'm not pleased with. But I live with it then. Then I just go, oh, that's that kind of mistake. And it helps me with the next project. Helps me look for that same sort of mistake in the next thing. Uh, so I keep the mistakes after a certain time. Uh, after I'm, like I said, I pull the curtain, I'm done with the project. But for a couple months, after I quote-unquote complete something, I will continue to work on it to take out typos, fix art, make it print better, and so on and so forth. Because sometimes... You don't know how something's going to look till it prints. And then maybe text is too small, you know, things aren't reading right, you know, and so on and so forth. The Ed Wood book itself, I actually added a scene into this book into chapter one. I think somewhere around page seven. I insert a whole new page. And it's seamless, of course, inside the book. But after I read the book the first time, I went, you know, this needs this scene right here. You know, this is... It's this, there's another beat missing, another beat can happen here. It's like writing music, and there's like a stanza missing, and you're like, this fits in right here. So I went back and fit that scene in, and I think it really plays better, plays funnier, and I think the book is much smoother to read because of it. Just that one inclusion, so really important. And I love doing that. I love going in and, you know, you ever watch a TV show, and say only if they'd done this, or a movie, and only if they'd done that, or, you know, why wasn't this scene there, or wasn't there a scene, felt like it was missing, or something, you know, that kind of thing. So, many times after I make my project, my story, quote-unquote, I will look at the darn thing and say, hey, uh, you know, there's a feeling missing here, like, like, this isn't completely clear, this isn't, you know, happening as well as it should. And I talked about this same phenomenon, I believe, back when we edited Donut Holes a couple months back. Same idea. Someone had read Donut Holes and said, hey, this doesn't make much sense to me, so I inserted a cartoon to help it make sense. That, of course, you know, also fulfilling the ideas that I'm trying to present. You know, I'm just not going to put a bunch of filler in. It has to build out my ideas, you know. It's just not a matter of padding it and, and not just a matter of it uh well i guess it needs to make sense so maybe it is just a matter of helping it make sense but for me it's it's a little more than that usually anyway that's another thing again i said as i said i like to do i like to look at a project and say okay maybe alter that panel maybe alter that joke maybe rewrite that text maybe insert a scene here or there how that looks Often, I will create a book, but not start at the beginning. Start in the middle or at, the, at other parts of it and then build out from there. I haven't done that in a while. All my projects have been created linearly, or for, linearly for a long time. And I do that because it's easier. But the whole thing, when you think about it, is still just a series of scenes, moments that add together to form the whole cohesive story. So I find a lot of times, you know, that I want to add in scenes, that I want to expand the story and move it out. And I bet a lot of authors feel that way. They start off with one simple idea or story. And next thing you know, the thing starts mushrooming and building. And what was once a simple one story book 
becomes a four-story mega-story or a you know overarching ten-story ten-book series. You know things like that. Projects have a way of expanding by themselves as the stories begin to tell themselves. Ever have that experience where you're making something and it starts growing and building, and now I can add this and put this in here and flying submarines and this two things and that, you know, betrayal. Next thing you know, you've got an opus on your hands. <laughs> That's probably how it gets away from us, isn't it? All my projects are now done now. I cleared the two books that I'd been working on, and they're done. This Ed Wood book and a different book. And they're done. And now all the things I had to do project-wise have been cleared from my decks. There are very few times in this life for me that I have clear decks. Usually I have, you know, I have to draw someone a logo for their new business, which I just did. I have to draw someone a portrait as a gift, which I just did. And so on and so forth. There's always things to draw. You know how that works. People always need something. And I'm actually at a point where the decks have been cleared. And I have no new video games to play. So I've been just kicking back. I've just been kind of relaxing, uh, proofing the Ed Wood book and the other book, and uh, just, you know, thinking about what I want to do next. And I'm not sure what I want to do next. I'm thinking maybe I'm going to do another Ed Wood book, and this time do it about his next movie that he makes called Bride of the Monster, and possibly include Plan 9 from Outer Space in that. Maybe show the production of his next two movies. But I'm not sure. Not sure. It might just be a retread of the same jokes, the same point of view, the same perspective as the first book. And I'm not sure, like a sitcom, I need to make another episode of Friends, another episode of Ed Wood. Do I need to make another episode? Or do I have something new I want to say? And in lieu of that, perhaps it's not new, is it something I just want to do? Am I interested in the subject matter? Do I have a passion to make this thing? Does it make me laugh? Is it a story I want to create, I want to read, that I want to do? That's the big question. You know, would I rather make a comedy book, a superhero book? Would I rather make a book about my mom's early days in her life, my early days? What do I want to do? You know, I watch people online and I see them making all sorts of things, superhero books, autobiographical novels that some people take years to grind out. And I think, you know, what is it I want to do? So that's the important thing. Create for myself to please myself, to have fun with it, and to realize, you know, you don't get a lot of projects, so I have to be very careful with the projects I choose. And I've got a lot of enthusiasm, I think, possibly to make another Ed Wood book. I usually make two or three projects simultaneously. I almost always have lots of little projects going, like the poster project or something. And I usually have books cooking in the back burner when I have a main book in the front. Well, my back burner books, which have been cooking for several years, are now done, which is very unusual because there's nothing behind them on an even more back burner. <laughs> Usually I have a back burner, back burner project, but I don't anymore. Perhaps my new back burner project has been collecting more books and reading them. I've been getting back into science fiction heavily, uh, 
reading more books about comics. I love old comic books and the history of comics, so I, I buy a lot of those alter egos and uh, other books from Tomorrow's Publishing, back issue and stuff that talk about the history of comics. So I'm really interested in the old creators, artists, and writers from the heyday of comics that no one really cares about except me and perhaps other fans. Uh, but anyway, so I spend a lot of time reading, and that has sort of become a very satisfying uh, hobby. I've thought almost of just picking up some old book and just illustrating it, not even knowing what was going to happen next, like read the first chapter and then just do my version of that first chapter, then read the second chapter, and then do my version of the second chapter. The only thing that stops me from doing this is I feel like I'm stealing someone's idea, <laughs> right? Because you're illustrating their book. Now, there's plenty of books in the public domain that are older than dust. Stories like Dracula, even, that you could do something like this with. But I'm not sure that's exactly what I want to do. But I like that idea of not knowing and creating something. I think that'd be really fun. And in a weird way, that's how I create all my stuff. I focus only on one page at a time, one scene, one moment, one idea. Even though I know it's building to an overall story, I focus on one thing at a time. And I think the idea of focusing on one chapter at a time, uh, you know, the setup, so to speak, or meet a character, whatever it could be, is the best way to do it. And again, I always just focus on one page, one page at a time. That, of course, means one panel, one drawing at a time. When I'm working on a book, I usually get up in the morning and after I get all my stuff done, I will draw. And then I will draw one or two panels at that time. And that's how I do my books. One or two panels a day for as long as it takes to make the book. And sometimes a panel can take longer than a day. It can be complicated. It can be really tricky or sometimes it can be easy or quick not easy but quick where it's just someone's face or you know shoulders and head as they talk much easier to illustrate than a helicopter flying over a bunch of buildings with a guy diving out of it takes much longer to draw that than it does just the head and shoulders of a pretty girl talking so it all depends again on what i'm drawing for really how long it takes and how long those panels will take uh, you know to produce but that's sort of my steady pace. One or two panels a day takes about, I don't know, maybe three or four days to build a page, then go to the next page, then go to the next page. And I can usually find a couple hours each day to draw on these panels. And in between that, I do everything else in my life like we all have to do. But that is how my production is achieved. No magic trick, nothing tricky. I just focus on one page, one drawing, one panel at a time. Uh, I don't make scripts. I have an idea where the story is going, what it's all about, but I usually don't make scripts. I'll jot down ideas for jokes or dialogue exchanges, and they'll pile up you know, as my quote-unquote notes. But beyond that, I really don't uh, script anything. I, I, I don't enjoy that. Uh, even though I can do it and have done it. And it's a part of the discipline to be able to create a whole script, and I can do that. But I much more enjoy it this way. And one thing I like about doing it this way is sometimes I will write myself into a place where I have to stop writing the story and think about it for a while 
to see what I'm going to do next. You know, okay, they're trapped in a volcano, in a balloon. What happens? You know, and so I just let that kind of sit in my subconscious mind for a while, turn over and over, and eventually, more often than not, a good idea will come. I've had to wait a long time, sometimes for that good idea, or sometimes I only have to wait a day, or go, go take a shower, or take a walk, and boom, the good idea comes. But sometimes it takes longer. And so I have faith sort of in that, and my mind, like a problem solver, doesn't move on from the problem seems to work it in my subconscious mind, even when I'm not thinking about it, so to speak. So that's sort of what I like about reading books. It sort of refills my bank of energy and ideas and enthusiasm to create. And also, you know, reading books sort of sparks ideas, you know, for other ideas and so on. So I think overall, putting more and more adventures into my database are a good thing for me. I've been reading, as I think I mentioned, a lot of old books. And these are old science fiction books. And they're hilarious for what passes for science in the science fiction books. I mean, it's just, it's great. It's like a B-movie from the 50s. Uh, I got this one book. You know, everybody's, you know, flying, flying cars. No one uses cars on the road anymore. And flying cars solved all the traffic problems. No more problems now that everybody's flying around in flying cars. Could you imagine the chaos and the death that would occur? Everybody's just randomly flying around the sky. Anyway, that's how it takes place in this book, and it's awesome. Never mentioned the chaos it would cause. People just jump in their car and fly around, so it's good stuff. And I like those very naive, very creative looks at a future that never came. It's just... It just tickles me. I don't know why, but I love those goofy science fiction stories, and I read a lot of them, and they're funny. I guess I've always liked goofy, off-kilter things. I, I really have. Uh, the more goofy and weird and out there it, it is, the more I, I liked it. I remember when I first went to my Ramones concert when I was 16 years old, and the Ramones were nobody, well, m- you know, relatively speaking, in this little dive bar in New Jersey, and there's the Ramones up there singing, but I just love them. I thought they were so much fun and so different and so out there compared to the other things that were being presented, so to speak, you know? One of the reasons I like David Bowie, I always thought he was so creative and so cool and always reinventing the character he presented himself as. I just thought that was neat. It's not for everybody, I understand. But for me, i am always always been gravitating to those sort of different things. I just love it. Anyway, I hope you guys are out there doing your weird creative thing. Don't let anybody stop you. Not even yourself. Don't let yourself talk yourself out of doing your weird creative thing, whatever that is. Have a great day. Carry on, and I'll see you in the art studio again before you know it. Okay? Bye-bye. Have a great day. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.